I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, more, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, the good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like you know grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to The Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Dean Detloff. I'm a PhD student at the Institute for Christian Studies in Toronto. And I'm Matt Bernico. I teach media studies at Greenville University in Greenville, Illinois. Lately, the theme of our show has been prison abolition in light of the prison strike that's been going on uh, for a little while since August 21st and is supposed to finish up uh, officially on the 9th of September. We'll see what happens um so I encourage folks to go back and listen to those two episodes especially the the last one with um, jared Ware, really important stuff i think uh but in this episode we're going to take a historical detour we don't have any guests or anything this week and we are going to consider one of history's great anarchists uh mikhail bakunin um in this episode we're gonna we're gonna read and comment on his unfinished essay on religion which is called god in the state uh, usually we spend our time reading religious people who are leftists or leftists who have something kind of interesting or, you know, vaguely affirmative to say about religion. Uh, but this week we are going to read someone who's actually really, really hostile to religion and to Christianity specifically. Yep, this will be a little bit different. Um, it's always good to pay attention to the critical and dissenting opinions. And boy, does Mikhail Bakunin have one. Um <laughs> These voices are, you know, sometimes helpful for our own self-reflection on uh, something as hegemonic and, you know, sometimes bad as Christianity. Um, Christianity has definitely been embroiled in exploitation, to say the least. So it's good to kind of get that outside perspective. That being said, we weren't too crazy about Bakunin's take here. Um, there's some problems and some just not great things in general that we'll get to so, in this episode, we're going to work through some of the big criticisms in Bakunin's God and State and see what's up. So, overall, this is an unfinished work, like Dean said. There are four parts to it, and the last one just kind of ends mid-sentence, which is funny. Um, <laughs> it's like that uh, that scene in Monty Python where he's, like, scribbling on the cave and he dies writing it. <laughs> it's exactly like that, yeah. Well, so there's uh, two sections about how bad religion is. There's one section about science and technocracy that are actually kind of interesting, but not great in their own way. And the last section is sort of like a way to sum it all up. Uh, but, you know, it's lots of uh, restating about how bad religion is mostly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's clearly a draft for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. And we can keep that in mind as we go, I guess. Uh, but the draft is all we have. So, <laughs> you know, um, for better and for worse, I think we are going to try to zero in on a few things that 
we liked and a few things that we thought were maybe underthought or poorly thought, depending on how charitable you want to be to Bakunin. Underthought is a nice way to put it, I think. <laughs> uh, not in the cool Amari Armstrong way. No. Uh, that's the title of her podcast, Underthought. Underthought in the in the bad, like, he really should have thought about this more uh, kind of way. <laughs> he should have. He should have overthought this one. <laughs> that's right. Uh, or even, like, thought just a little bit more. Um, <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> so we have broken up our episode uh, a little bit according to some of the um, the scheme that Matt just rehearsed, uh, but we are just going to break it into religion and science. So we're going to talk more about religion, of course, because that's what the podcast is into, um, but it does connect to the science stuff um, intentionally. It's all, it's all supposed to be there. So we'll get to the science um, material later on, but let's kind of open up just right out the gate here with some stuff on religion. Uh, There's a lot to say, and a lot of the things in the essay are not super surprising. Like, he repackages a lot of pretty standard, like, Enlightenment um, critiques of religion and Christianity, and those are less interesting, I think. Uh, Like, there's nothing particularly unique about them, so no point in focusing on them. Uh, But he does want to make an intervention in that very conversation among Enlightenment atheists, and that is very interesting. And the intervention he wants to make is a materialist one. Uh, so he thinks that uh, not only should we be thinking about science and getting rid of, uh, you know, religion because that's for babies, as we'll get to in a minute, um, but also uh, we should think about the, the material conditions that sort of undergird why people believe what they believe. Uh, so just to get one theme on the table here, uh, basically, Bakunin sort of drives home that the church is an organization with power and property, and Christianity is an organization that has uh, some real material benefits for the people that wield Christianity for that purpose. Uh, and it cynically gets people to sign on to dogmas so that they keep on paying the church and they remain subservient to it. Um, not super surprising, but here's a quote that illustrates it a bit. So Bakunin writes, Thanks to this modesty and pious generosity of believing incredulous men, heaven has grown rich with the spoils of the earth, and by a necessary consequence, the richer heaven became, the more wretched became humanity and the earth. And I think that sounds sort of banal, but it's actually a, a good point because he's trying to drive home this idea that there is a um, there is real material, tangible wealth tied to uh, the institutions that enable certain people's belief. Um, so that's maybe like a positive note we could begin on. You know, good point, true, accurate, something Christians should think about a little bit, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Um, there's nothing wrong with that insight. <laughs> like it's it's kind of, I mean, in 2018, it's kind of a tame take. Um, but yeah, right. it's good. It's a good thing to say. Uh, it. I think it's also good, even in 2018, to repeat it because the kind of atheism that attracts people today is usually people like Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens or whatever, uh, people who are extremely boring in their critique of religion. I mean, it just comes down to, like, religious people are idiots, and that's it. That's all you can say about it. Um, if they were smarter, they would just be better. And Bakunin does say dumb stuff like that. 
but he does add a certain gloss that these other atheists don't get to, and that's criticizing um, other kinds of cultural institutions that we take for granted along with religion. So, you know, the one thing that Dawkins will never really uh, think twice about is like, well, maybe capitalism is also a bad thing that, you know, has no real like secret scientific rational basis or whatever. Um, so in the world of atheism, like that's at least one point that Bakunin can hopefully still contribute in spite of some shortcomings. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, so in addition to this like straightforward kind of like good point, um, he also has a whole line of bad points. <laughs> Um, so, okay. Um, so the richer heaven became, the more wretched became humanity and earth. That's like a pretty good take. And it's interesting. It's sort of critical. It gets at sort of the, um, ways that, uh, the church has in the past has created like economic, uh, disparities or have exploited people. And that's good. Like draw attention to that. Uh, but then there's some other stuff that's not so great. Uh, here's another quote uh, from Bakunin specifically, uh, on this not so great point. All religions with their gods, their demigods, and their prophets, their messiahs, and their saints were created by the credulous fancy of men who had not attained the full development and full possession of their faculties. Okay. <laughs> so not only uh, – so, I mean, um, religion exploits people. It takes your money. It makes you kind of docile. Uh, but also, uh, guess what? People who believe in it or people who even start religions or whatever – are dumb <laughs> like uh it's for babies it's for babies the uh they have not they don't have their full development and they don't have full possession of their faculties that's exactly what i'd say about my three-year-old child um he still <laughs> pets the cat too rough and like can't pick up after himself and like does not have all of his faculties i suppose but uh same thing that he's saying about people who believe in god which is not a great take because it's it's not true there are people that are very smart that are religious like us yeah yeah like us who have full development and full possession of our faculties at the same time <laughs> all of it we get we got it all <laughs> we're fully grown adult <laughs> men and we also fully do this fully grown adult church going men <laughs> uh <laughs> not a not a great tagline for a podcast but it would be accurate um <laughs> so i think uh yeah it like all right, I tried to sort of open on this charitable line, and I'm going to try to, like, keep looking <laughs> for those as we go, because uh, I think that's the challenge, right, for Christians. Like, you should try to read these things charitably to find out what you can sort of mine from it uh, from the outside. Like, that's really helpful. But it is true that also we should we should be sort of open to realizing that, like, sometimes Bakunin is just completely and totally... Uh, wrong like he has a really a really bad and, and unhelpful view of religion and we'll get into more of that in a minute um, but I want to get another kind of quote that is a bit nuanced uh, on the table here and we can talk through it a little bit so he has this interesting take on uh, sort of indirect uh, I guess echoing of the Marxist line about religion being an opiate uh, I think Marx still says it better but here's how Bakunin puts it and this is a bit of a long paragraph but I think it's worth reading in full um, so here it goes. There is another reason which explains and in some sort justifies the absurd beliefs of the people, namely the wretched situation to which they find themselves fatally condemned by the economic organization of society in the most civilized countries of Europe. Reduced intellectually and morally, as well as materially, to the minimum of human existence, confined in their life like a prisoner in his prison, without horizon, without outlet, without even a future, if we believe the economists, 
The people would have the singularly narrow souls and blunted instincts of the bourgeois if they did not feel a desire to escape. But of, but of escape, there are but three methods, two chimerical and a third real. The first two are the dram shop and the church, debauchery of the body and debauchery of the mind. So, by the way, a dram shop is like a bar. Uh, and the third is social revolution. Here I conclude this last will be much more potent than all the theological propagandism of the freethinkers to destroy their last vestige, uh, the religious beliefs and dissolute habits of the people, beliefs and habits much more intimately connected than is generally supposed. In substituting for the at once illusory and brutal enjoyments of bodily and spiritual licentiousness and enjoyments, as refined as they are real, of humanity developed in each and all, the social revolution alone will have the power to close at the same time all the dram shops and all the churches. Uh, long paragraph, but I think this kind of speaks to what I was just saying about a certain intervention into the like new atheist discourses we get today. Um, that it's only by revolution that you would actually get rid of uh, the bad sort of motivating factors that lead people to certain kinds of theologies. And Christians can get behind that in a certain respect, too. Uh, obviously, if you're a, you know, whatever, authentic Christian who believes you want to be a Christian, you can't agree that all religion is reducible to that. But surely many, many very bad theologies are indeed motivated by uh, brutal material conditions that we live in. Okay, good charitable read, Dean. But hey, there's something in here that is actually completely unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i already know where you're going with it <laughs> so okay <laughs> i get i get the criticism the dram shop right the tavern you don't want to ch- he, he, the bar is sort of a way to distract uh proletarians from their struggles i get that but at the end he says that the social revolution alone will have the power to close at the same time the dram shops and the churches uh straight edge bakun over here wants to close the bars down that's an extremely <laughs> un-anarchist thing to say <laughs> Uh, yeah, it really is, though I do appreciate that this is, like, a double blow to the emergent church. Like, all <laughs> churches that happen within bars, you are gone. You're the first on the list. It's the bo- It's the worst of both. Oh my gosh, drunkenness and church. What a- <laughs> what a wild thing that he- like, I can't- I can't imagine that being a popular take amongst anybody, but <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I mean, it is, like, who knows how much of that is kind of a, like, symbolic rhetorical flair or whatever, Um, but it is quite strange, Uh, and like I said before, I think Marx does the opiate stuff better, Um, because Marx also, like, sympathizes with why people do drugs, like, uh, and it's not even necessarily because, like, drugs are bad, per se, it's just because you have a shitty life you want to distract yourself from, that doesn't mean that you can't, like, have a drink after the revolution. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Well... Uh, Bakunin, come on, churches. I get, I understand your problem, but don't not, but not the bars though. Come on. Yeah, don't worry though. We'll we'll let you get Rob Bell before we uh, <laughs> correct you on that point. <laughs> okay, um, that's a good charitable read. Let's not close down the bars or the churches. But I I get the point. I get the point, Bakunin. It makes sense. It does echo marks. It's very good, like that. Okay. Uh, but the name of this essay is God and the State, so there must be something that ties those things together. Um, so the short of it is we don't really know what that thing is. We don't actually know what that connection is. Bakunin reinforces that there's a connection several times, but never really explains it. So here are a few quotes to help us maybe guess at what that relationship is. So, uh, okay, he says, Bakunin says, There is not, there cannot be, a state without religion. Take the freest states in the world, the United States of America, 
or the Swiss Confederation, for instance, and see what an important part is played in all official discourses by divine providence, that supreme sanction of all states. I think that the claim that he's making here is actually kind of a weird one. Um, so, okay, he thinks that there cannot be a state without religion, but that doesn't really elucidate any sort of connection between those two things. Like, it doesn't sort of explain why that is the case, just that there cannot be one. And the two examples he takes right. into consideration, I mean, are fine. Like, he's not wrong in both the United States of America and the Swiss Confederation. Like, religious has a, religion has a place in sort of the political discourse. Um, and I think it's probably kind of inescapable. Um, that's not, that's not like all of the types of states that can be imagined. That's not all of the states that even exist now. Like we could probably find some examples that would be pretty good counters to those things. Even, uh, communist states that tried to outlaw religion, uh, but you know, couldn't really do it for some other reasons too. Anyways, it's just a weird take and does not help us really get to the bottom of the claim. It just is like a, it's just an assertion with kind of nothing attached to it. What, what do you think, Dean? No, I think you're right. I mean, it's a weird example uh and uh i'm gonna try to be not super sectarian but uh i do want to say this is the kind of thing that like i don't think you would ever find in Karl marx like trying to uh, extrapolate from like one situation like the u.s or something like that uh like a really big metaphysical point uh that like yep states and religions are just like logically tied in some mysterious way um so, I don't know, one thing that I, just kind of bothers me about Bakunin in particular. Uh, I do think, though, here's like a couple of quotes that might tie these two things together, at least in a certain philosophical way, even if not, say, like a materialist way. So, um, here's two quotes. The first one is, uh, God is everything. Therefore, man and all the real world with him, the universe, are nothing. You will not escape this conclusion. So, he's trying to articulate the Christian worldview there. And then he goes on to say elsewhere, uh, slaves of God, um, humans must also be slaves of church and state insofar as the state is consecrated by the church. Um, so there's this kind of connection between uh, God's, I guess, authority or sovereignty uh, and humanity's inverse um, lack of sovereignty or lack of, of uh, you know, autonomy, like self-law giving, right? Um, and to be sure like that's true in a lot of christian traditions um there there are some real like pathological hang-ups that people get into as uh i don't know like just having these complicated and weird ideas about like religion and freedom and god's sovereignty and humanity's like complete uselessness or weakness or whatever and you know that's that's true but uh i don't really buy i guess the the second move that and uh, that suggests like and that is why like states are these uh you know, enslaving apparatuses because there's something about their sovereignty that mirrors gods in that way or something like that. Um, maybe there are other ways that you can make that point more sophisticatedly, but I don't like how Bakunin does it. Yeah, I think that you're right. It just doesn't seem to follow for me. Like, um, okay, so there are two types of authority in the world or there, there's... you. Okay, you might say that, like, God is a type of unwarranted authority that's at work in the world, and the state is just like it. And, like, I kind of get that, but, like, what what we've seen through, I guess, a materialist lens in, in the Marxist sense of the word is that, like, the church is really flexible to take on a lot of different sort of forms even. So, like, a church without a state is possible, like, you could think of it. And maybe it would be bad and maybe it wouldn't, but like, I, I don't know. It's just, the, those things don't seem to, they don't seem to be like linked in really an inextricable way. Like 
Um, we can draw out different examples, but it's I don't see a hard and fast connection in any materialist way. Yeah, and I mean, there are, like, anti-statist churches, like, whole traditions that are anti-statist. Uh, you know, Quakers and Mennonites in particular are, like, pretty famously not into having big states um, in certain veins, certain branches of those traditions anyhow. Uh, there's like a pretty strong tradition of like Catholic anarchism, despite Catholicism's ties to uh, statism in history. Like uh, there, it, like in terms of of making a, a sort of logical necessity between religion and the state, I think it's just the case that if you have a materialist understanding of the world, you actually couldn't say that. Like history would sort of bear some weight against you. I think. Yeah, exactly. I think that's um, that's my problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh well let's talk a little bit about authority in general because this is a good maybe like tangent moment that we can take uh, a lot of people criticize anarchism as being just a total lack of authority total lack of organization structure um you know anarchy is sort of a cultural term that means like complete disorder or even like adolescent childishness or something like that but uh bakunin actually goes out of his way to say that is not uh, what he's after um anything jump out at you uh matt when he talks a bit about authority and the kind of authority that he likes yeah it's like okay with yeah totally i actually found this part of the essay really illuminating and i think a pretty good intervention into anarchist thought um i mean something that i think i know is true because i've read you know more anarchist thought than just bakunin but something that is good that he states here um so bakunin says does it follow that i reject all authority far from me such a thought in the matter of boots, I refer to the authority of the bootmaker. Concerning houses, canals, and railroads, <laughs> I consult to the architect or engineer. I bow before the authority of special men, special people, because it is imposed on, because it is imposed upon me by my own reason. Uh, so what we get here is kind of a take on technocracy in the sense that, like, um, like if he can reason that he should sort of be like under the authority of these special people. Um, then he should. Like, then he should just get down with it. It's fine. Do you know about boots? No? Talk to the guy that knows about boots and listen to him. Um, that's, uh, I mean, like, I think an uncontroversial take, but I think a helpful elucidation on anarchy and sort of, like, um, what is actually going on there. You know, not a rejection of all authority, but, like, um, knowing the knowing the place and the sort of way to compartmentalize authority in your life. Yeah, uh, if you want boots and you try to just make them yourself because you think that uh, you're more free to do that, um, I mean, I guess you could, like, take the time to become really good at boots, uh, but it's, like, good that we have uh, a diversification of labor because then you have time to do other stuff. Uh, I'd rather go see, you know, Dr. Bootmaker, I guess, uh, (laughs) than learn how to make my own own dang boots. Um, And, like, it's worth pointing out, too, that uh, there's a really sophisticated dialectic oftentimes between freedom and authority in anarchist thought that is typically overlooked uh you know like you can only be free with the right kinds of constraints uh but those constraints have to sort of earn their rights to be constraints i guess uh which is not the worst idea yeah i agree um it is i think that's good to to note right the freedom and constraints thing um, I wonder how this type of observation really holds up, though, in light of an increasingly technological world. I know that is a that sounds kind of weird, but like um, when the systems we use to administrate like all kinds of biopolitical things become um, done sort of 
through like AI or just algorithmically. Like we don't even, it's, you know, we don't mm. even trust the boot makers anymore, right? It's like, you have to right. find someone who That's can true. tell you about like algorithms and how they parse out data or something. So, so I mean like, um, bowing to technocracy, I think ends up becoming a really hard thing for anarchists. Like, you know, mm-hmm. talking to a guy or woman or a non-binary person that makes boots is fine and, <laughs> and good, right? They know how to make boots. But, like, yeah. when it comes down to, like, um, the sort of interlocking networks that let you immigrate from one country to another, it's like, wow, this is actually something quite different. Right. Uh, yeah, well, I think we are starting to get ahead of ourselves into the science discussion, which is great. We should turn there. Um before we do that, though, I wanted to make just like a last comment uh, before we leave religion uh, behind, um, before we have full possession of our faculties. Uh, there <laughs> is some pretty like weird stuff uh, that Bakunin actually inherits from Christianity in his own atheism, uh, and it's worth interrogating that a little bit. Um, specifically, there's like a very bad anti-Semitism, and this is something that people have pointed out is present in other places in Bakunin as well. Uh, He makes reference to like global Jewish conspiracies and stuff. It's really gross. Um, But he also has an understanding of, of theology and kind of Christian development that uh, internalize and inherit some weird Christian ideas. So for example, here's just a a short quote, but he writes a um, sort of summarizing Christianity, uh, that there's a development already far advanced of metaphysical ideas in order to spiritualize the gross Jehovah of the Jews. Um, and this is something that Christians, Christian theologians have said historically too, that, uh, Jesus is the kind of thing that sort of purifies Judaism from its, you know, whatever stupid ideas or something, which is just a really, really bad, bad understanding of, uh, not only, judaism but also christianity like that's not how christianity emerged and not what uh it is um historically in at least uh in its beginnings like uh jacob taubus is a really interesting german scholar who did a lot of work on that in particular uh but yeah i mean there's that there's a kind of weird narrative about the progression from uh human belief in like uh fetishism of spiritual objects to like polytheism to monotheism which is also a really stupid sort of colonialist logic um so all that to say like it's it's fascinating how bakunin has so much rhetoric about like abolishing religion and abolishing you know god and christianity and stuff but he actually like takes in some of the very very worst habits that it has produced and just uh, refiles them under a different name so uh yeah i think just like something to be alive to anyway yeah, totally. Uh, cool. Well, we've said all we need to say, I think, about Bakunin and religion, but let's move to some of the science stuff in particular, and that will maybe help us double back on some of these things. Um, Matt, you teach in media studies. You're really into science. Uh, what uh, what really stuck out to you here? Yeah, a lot. So it's hard to characterize exactly what he thinks about science because sometimes he speaks with a little bit more nuance sometimes with absolutely no nuance there's sort of like um his rhetoric kind of betrays him at a few places so it's hard to exactly know what he intends in some of these cases like i don't even know exactly what he means by the word science because he just uses the word science as sort of like a monolithic thing and that's a real problematic (laughs) thing because science is not (laughs) one it is not like you know an institution like you can go to church 
and you can participate in Christianity as a religion, but like science is not like that. <laughs> science is not like a place you go. It's like, you know, a procedure that you undertake and then hopefully other people, you know, can also undertake it with you. So, um, he, I mean, even Christianity is like wildly plural, right? Full of all kinds of, uh, like deep, uh, diversities that people would prefer not to think about. Yeah, totally. And science is, you know, very similar too, but it just has like, it's, it's a different set kind of pluralism, I guess, like a pluralism with a different texture right. to it. Um, the different feel, it's not altogether different than religion, I think in a lot of ways, but it is different enough to call it something different. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Uh, well, <laughs> it's, it's a conversation we could have. Um, <laughs> so here's one of the bad takes he has on science that makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, and I'll just read it here. Bakunin says, Therefore, in recognizing absolute science as the only absolute authority, we in no way compromise our liberty. So science is better than religion for him. And uh, if we recognize it as the absolute authority, then our liberty is safe. <laughs> no one can exploit us, <laughs> which is, I mean, a, like, so this is, this is sort of the thing that's difficult for me. Like, if he means by science, like, like the social science that kind of Marx brings to the table through historical materialism, well, like, I kind of get it, right? Like, that would kind of make some sense. Like, you know, if you were, if you sort of subscribe to the absoluteness of that type of materialism um, of, you know, looking at history, then, like, yeah, like, you'll be able to sort of see the movements of history and you'll understand when oppression is coming or you're going to be exploited or something, right? And that makes sort of sense. But if you're just like, science in general is the absolute authority i don't really know how that's going to help you man like i don't know chemistry doesn't tell you very much about liberty um so i, I don't really know what to say about that right so it, it doesn't he doesn't really clarify his term about science and that bugs me and i don't know what he means by this uh it doesn't seem like yeah. it's actually very good or true yeah i think that uh all the stuff that he says about science is really hard to parse out exactly what he means and what's going for it um but I think that there is a kind of nuance to it, and it doesn't really help that he doesn't uh, have a, a seemingly consistent like definition, or at least he gets sort of caught up in his own rhetoric. Um, but I want to pull out just this uh, point that I think goes with what we were just saying about authority and might be easy to overlook uh, as well. So he's talking about the authority of like science in distinction to the authority of like priests and theologians and stuff. Uh, and he says... Um, Therefore, uh, okay, he's talking about like how humans have to sort of give consent to things and receive like consent to stuff. Uh, like there's a mutuality involved in human life. Uh, so he says there's no fixed and constant authority, but a continual exchange of mutual, temporary, and above all, voluntary authority and subordination. Yeah. This same reason forbids me then to recognize the fixed, constant, and universal authority because there's no universal human, no human capable of grasping in that wealth of detail without which the application of science to life is impossible, all the sciences, all the branches of social life. And if such universality could ever be realized in a single person, and if that person wished to take advantage thereof to impose their authority on us, it would be necessary to drive this person out of society because their authority would inevitably reduce all the others to slavery and imbecility. Mm. Um, and he, so I think there's like a conversation to be had about... like. Uh, the authority of science and the actual um, deployment of science or like the authority of particular scientists, if anything like that. Um, like he does have a sort of evolving 
understanding of of the sciences and uh the sciences are supposed to be sort of a product of like the material world in an interesting way um so yeah it's like complicated but um sometimes he says things that are kind of neat yeah totally um that does complicate things a bit more um hang on let me find one thing too so uh to add to that complication a little bit and to kind of riff off of that like you know that particular place of authority in life he says this what I preach then is to a certain extent the revolt of life against science, or rather against the government of science. Not to destroy mm. science, that would be high treason to humanity, but to rem- but to remand it to its place so that it can never leave it again. So there's a sense like, you know, it belongs somewhere. It has sort of a use within society. And I guess I kind of get that. That makes sense. That's not yeah. s- such a, like a bad take. That's, I think, a pretty good point but yeah, at the same that time speaks a little bit too <laughs> sorry <laughs> no no i'm not gonna i'm not gonna slow that train down for sure but like at the same time then he says something else ex- <laughs> like extremely ridiculous right after that like in that same section he says science is unchangeable impersonal general abstract insensible like the laws of which it is but the ideal reproduction reflected or mental that is cerebral like what does that even mean first of all also science isn't unchangeable like the entire point of science is that it changes like you get new data and then like you get different sorts of like results in science like oh my god <laughs> what is this okay so like it's not it's not a finished book or something and maybe that's what's going on but like I hate the inconsistency <laughs> so much. <laughs> yeah, it is like a huge mind puzzle uh, in the worst kind of way. Uh, I mean, I guess there's a an assumed hole underneath all of this, right? That like everybody's kind of getting a piece of it and uh, you can reliably access the world or something like that, but you can't like reliably access it in, in its total uh completeness or something yeah Uh, there's a lot of weird epistemological problems with that but it makes sense yeah totally i i mean dean in this entire conversation you've been the charitable one and i've been very cranky (laughs) (laughs) i think i'm more cranky about the things he says about science than he does about religion because at least i kind of get where he's coming from (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i think also like it may have to do a little bit also with like you've read a lot more anarchism than i have uh and you've invested a little bit more i think into some of those conversations um so i'm like coming at it being like huh i'm gonna try really hard to learn from this uh without having done some of the necessary work of like wading into the live problems or conversations so it makes sense to be a little more upset about it yeah i guess so that that's it <laughs> i'm i'm more upset because i've read more than you i think that's a good <laughs> that's a good i'll stick with yeah, that i'm just I, i'm just in a really charitable mood uh i'm gonna offer it to everyone to bakuna to bernico all the bees are getting my charity tonight uh <laughs> charitable beehive over here um so on that note though here's a uh, a line that i really liked that'll pull out and see what you think of it um so bakunin writes uh once more life not science creates life the spontaneous action of the people themselves alone can create liberty. Undoubtedly, it would be a very fortunate thing if science could, from this day forth, illuminate the spontaneous march of the people towards their emancipation. But better an absence of light than a false and feeble light, kindled only to mislead those who follow it. After all, the people will not lack light. It's a good uh, Quaker line at the end there. Yeah. Sorry, Bakunin, you messed up. Yeah, for real. Yeah, that's not so bad. I mean, there's kind of like a... Kind of like a cool, like, vitalist kind of thing going on there. That's neat. It's good rhetoric. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is good rhetoric. 
uh, but it just sort of relativizes science to like the revolutionary project in a certain way that, um, yeah, like his his philosophy of science needs a lot of work. Uh, this is definitely a, a rough, rough draft. I would hope not not a final draft. Uh, hopefully, we can cut on that slack. Um, but uh, nevertheless, like that ultimate point about like whatever science is, it still has to go underneath the kind of emancipatory goals. I think that's a, a good a good line. Yeah, it totally is. And uh, I mean, so some of some of like the the unbridled rage and unshared ability I feel towards him right now is that like, I mean, like he's writing toward during a time when like race science was huge, right? Like, right. like phrenology was like the science of the day. Um, and like, don't tell me that is like unchangeable or impersonal. Cause like it has a huge agenda, right? Like it, it's like, yeah, it's a huge thing in Europe and the United States. It's, it's like a big deal. And I guess that bugs me, but um, if science has to pass under, um, you know, the, the revolutionary project, then that's a little bit something different. That's good. <laughs> that's, that's like, yeah. um, you know, like, um, making, making science sort of answerable to, um, to the revolutionary project is something that I think is actually a very good idea. Um, but it still doesn't help us understand what science is any better. Right. Yeah, and I mean, it makes sense, too, with, like, I don't know where his anti-Semitism comes from, per se, but obviously a lot of stuff uh, just sort of is embedded in there, um, and if he's, like, a person of science and still holding up these, like, really stupid ideas, then clearly um, his conception of science has to be somewhat uh, tarnished by that as well. Yeah, yeah, well, who knows? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like just from a cursory Googling today as I was reading this too, like there are people who try to work out whether or not Bakunin was like a racist or not. And like, let's be honest, probably. Um, and if he's, you know, imbibing that the same way that he imbibes Christian supersessionism, despite thinking that he's uh, moved on. Um, yeah. No surprise. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, there's a certain extent where we just have to be kind of like incredulous towards a lot of historical characters, even if we really like them because like yeah they're they're saturated they're saturated in white supremacy in ways they can't even know themselves and that only we can know kind of looking back on them it doesn't excuse any of it it's just like it's just gonna be there yeah for sure i mean in the same way that we are repeating all kinds of really dumb stuff on this podcast all the time that hopefully in 100 years people will be like don't do that yeah (laughs) um so yeah uh to my great-grandchildren sorry um so i think uh maybe we could round this out talking a little bit more about this text um and how it functions in kind of anarchist and religious discourses uh i mean it's a big deal for reasons that quite frankly i don't super understand uh i don't really know why someone would read this essay and be like i've got to translate that one out of all the other stuff you could read from bakunin that like it's better i've read some other bakunin stuff i really liked i was kind of surprised that i didn't like this as much as i did yeah same um, state and revolution is good yeah like if the, if there's any takeaway from this episode uh like maybe skip this one skip this uh skip this reading but go read state and revolution because it's way better yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's like it's also interesting to kind of see how okay i'll make another dangerously sectarian point but um like some things that that occasionally frustrate me a little bit about some anarchists that i know i won't say anarchism writ large whatever i'll leave that for other people to decide but some anarchists that i know uh seem to have like some 
kind of annoying like purity complexes i think uh so there's this challenge to always be um bereft of like certain oppressive discourses or certain oppressive structures uh so you end up being against things like power or authority or you know whatever um but in fact you end up kind of uh just moving those things around so the power shows up differently or the authority shows up differently right um and you like can't recognize it because you've rejected the tools that would allow you to do that uh and i kind of feel like that comes through here in bakunin as well on religion um that like in rejecting christianity he actually retains some of its like worst worst habits and like if you're a christian you know uh i mean okay not if you're a christian if you're a christian who thinks about the abuses of christianity then like you know that we have a history of being supersessionist and you can like spot that when it comes up um but if you're not like it's harder to do that and i guess it's easier to reproduce um so i don't know that was kind of an interesting insight for me this time around that like that's one kind of habit i see in certain anarchists i know that kind of gets reproduced in religion here yeah i agree i think that's a pretty good point i mean um to me i don't i don't know how you feel dean about how sectarian you want to be about it to me this doesn't mean that anarchism <laughs> is like bad or flawed it just means like yeah yeah, yeah. you gotta be a better anarchist i guess yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't say that to say, like, uh, <laughs> anarchists have a purity narrative, unless, uh, unlike us Marxists, who, ha- who never <laughs> never are beset by uh, purity narratives, which is obviously a really stupid right. uh, thing to say. Um, I just mean that, like, there, I do think it's fair to say that there's... Th- the way these hangups show up in different um, traditions of leftist thought is different, even if it's the same ultimate hangup. Um, and with respect to things like religion, uh, and in other places, uh, power and authority, um, it's one of those things where like sometimes anarchists I've noticed will like, uh, severely resist or reject something rhetorically. Uh, but in my experience of reading them, it just shows up differently elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's all. Marxists do it worse in other ways, just not, not in the same way. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sorry Catherine, if you're still listening to this podcast <laughs> on that point i think overall after reading it i mean i there are some things i didn't like about it there's some things you didn't like about it and there's some things i really didn't like about it but uh i mean like we read it and like we can make the best of it so dean what do you think this thing says to christians who are leftists who are anarchists who are communists yeah. etc what can we take away sure um all right, I think there are some good challenges. Uh, I don't think that most of those challenges are totally unique to Bakuna per se, but like he's a he's a good writer for sure, and uh, he pulls you through some of those challenges with some nice turns of phrase here and there. He has a really great line, um, riffing off the Voltaire quote that if God didn't exist, it would be necessary to invent him. Uh, Bakunin says uh, if God didn't exist, it would be necessary to abolish him. That's actually, I mean, I disagree, but it's an awesome. Uh, sense yeah it's, <laughs> so it's good right um, yeah all that's just to say like uh he does kind of repackage certain um critiques of religion in a materialist way that i think are still worth hearing and sometimes you have to hear them differently a couple of times to like really get them to stick uh or you know to get another angle on it so that's got some good staying power um and uh yeah the idea of science whatever it is uh being subordinate to revolutionary impulses i think that's also good it kind of <laughs> now that i think about it, it reminds me a little bit ironically of what lenin says about religion um this is how i feel about his views about science uh 
you can sort of like i don't know let people think whatever they want about what science is uh we'll hash that out after the revolution like people can go to whatever church they feel like um in the end <laughs> but like what if they believe in flat earth dean <laughs> but dean what, yeah, but dean, know, what if they believe in chemtrails <laughs> yeah okay well uh all i'm saying is there was an air show here in toronto this week and uh we'll see we'll see what if but dean what if they don't believe in bigfoot <laughs> uh i mean we have re-education centers for that yeah so. <laughs> okay i was gonna say that's kind of a that's a sort of like a, a deal breaker right there for me um <laughs> all right yeah well i think that there's some other uh things to take away too uh what sticks out to me mostly is just the way he talks about the uh compartmentalization of authority in life i do like that a lot um I mean, recognizing that, like, you know, I, I mean, he's an anarchist, right? So, like, recognizing that authority is problematic, but also recognizing that it belongs places. And, um, yeah, yeah. But it also has maybe, like, a, a, a sense of, like, mutualism to it or something where, like, uh, you know, you listen to these people and then they listen to you or something. And that's not so bad. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That is a really good takeaway. Like, having authority um, but not g- compromising your own liberty. That's nice. That's a good idea. Yeah, and it's not a bad corrective to uh, certain, like, popular forms of anarchism that are just like, no authority. It's like, well, good authority, though. <laughs> no gods, no bedtimes. <laughs> Some bedtimes. You gotta you gotta go to bed. So, okay, this is a good story to wrap this up with, maybe. Uh, Lewis, my son, <laughs> he, um, he is great, and maybe the greatest and purest form of anarchy there is. Um, <laughs> I can attest yeah. to that fact. <laughs> so, uh, when I was writing my dissertation, this is a few years ago, I bought him this book. Uh, so, I bought um, a Proudhon book, but then I bought him this book um, about uh, anarchy. It's like a kid's book about anarchism. Anyways, it's like every page is like, you know, don't take a bath, eat cake, <laughs> like, um, <laughs> like make your own instruments, don't buy your food. And it's like, you know, stuff like that. But then like when we're reading it yeah. now, it's like, it's cool because he still can't quite read. And uh, so like, it'll be like, don't take a bath unless you want to, um, <laughs> unless it's a really good idea. <laughs> that's awesome yeah uh, uh so just bacoon in bedtime bacoon in bath time <laughs> yeah that's just, exactly that's the kind of thing like i mean like bath time it's not great but sometimes you know you should listen to somebody about taking a bath it's really pretty important <laughs> i think um you can you can dress however you want you know make your own musical instruments that's awesome but like just you gotta take a bath every now and again my friend you can't get that dirty no, it's important. It's important to be clean for the revolution. You need your bath time authorities. <laughs> That's the only type of authority Do- I recognize. Doctor bath time. Doctor bath time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the worst villain for a three year old. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, well, in our house, we actually do have a worst villain, and he's called the Fart King. <laughs> uh it's good that he retains the monarchical title that's a a very helpful way of introducing the anarchist thread i think yeah lewis is the fart king and he does not like to be the fart king but that's (laughs) that's his lot in life sorry kid if that's the authority you choose man you should just choose better yeah that's all yeah exactly exactly Thanks for listening to the Magnificast, and if you like this particularly weird rant about science, you can subscribe to us on Patreon and give us a little bit of money. That's very nice of you. You can also follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook, get into the Magnificast basement, see some links that people post, 
do the little laughing emoji because someone will make a joke and it'll be very funny. Um, you can do that heart emoji because you love uh, you love what someone said so much. It's yeah, pat on the back. Exactly, it makes us feel good. Um, you can find us on two cool <laughs> podcast networks. One's called Theology Corner and one's called Critical Mediations. And that reminds me, I need to update all of those sometime soon. Sorry, guys. I haven't done that. But you should go listen to those podcasts. Friendly Anarchism is out there. You can learn about anarchism from a real anarchist and not just weird people who... <laughs> from someone who knows what they're talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, Rev Left Radio is out there, too. You can listen to people who, who actually know about Marxism, too. So that's nice all around. Listen to those people. Uh, <laughs> cool. You can also find uh, some sweet Magnificast merch on redbubble.com slash shop slash the Magnificast. Buy a t-shirt. Buy a... Sticker. There's so many stickers. There's so many good stickers. I thought that like maybe the popularity of them would die down, but they aren't. People will still buy them all the time, and that's very cool. All right, cool. Well, we'll see you next time. I don't want to get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church We'll meet down by the riverside There we'll swim with all creation Never get tired, never bored Don't worry, someday there'll be no damn between us and our Lord